1 Samuel chapter 22. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Adullam. Now it's interesting, in chapter 21, what just took place? David was brought to a point where he had to flee, but also he started having in that verse 15, and have I need of a madman? We see the king of Gath, where David had not probably clearly of where he was going. He just knew he had to run and hide. And he went into the enemy territory and they immediately discovered who David was. David, every, David across the land of the, knew who he was and what God was doing in it through his life and how he was key in that nation of Israel. And even the king of Gath, because all of a sudden David realized he's been caught, he's been captured, and he started acting like a madman and just losing his mind so that they would hopefully come to their senses and realize, you don't, well, we don't need a madman. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And here in chapter 22, we find that David, obviously, they get him out of us, don't even lock him up, just get him away from us. There, David, therefore, departed from there and escaped. <laughs> oh, David, you need to escape for sure, because that is not where you needed to be to run, to run away, and then run in, in back into the world, into the, into the enemy's camp. That is not what God had for him, and he quickly found that out. <clears throat> but here we find David had through a, through a, a lot, he had a high of, of, you know, all this fame and, and notoriety and, and, married the you know king of israel's daughter i mean there was just the dangers of the philistines and wiping out and of course goliath that was his triumph i mean that, again all of these repeated attempts on his life in so many ways that we've seen so far and the heartbreak farewell from his you know his bosom buddy of uh, jonathan and just he's a fugitive now he's running and he's, as a fugitive, you'll run and you'll go anywhere just to find shelter and, and security to prolong and to preserve your life. And so David, we find here as he's coming into this chapter here, in this intense period of, uh, of just as a fugitive. Later on, we'll find that David even has a, even more an intense period in his life when he backslides and has a dramatic turn away from the Lord where he has to turn around and come back to the Lord in deliverance from a life-threatening situation. We'll see that later on. But here he's escaping and he heads for the cave, a cave of Adullam, a place of refuge for him, a, 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 a type of rock of, of escape. He's called a cave here and he's running to it and he couldn't go to his house he couldn't go back to the palace. He couldn't go back and to even go see Samuel. He couldn't even go back to see the priests again. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't even see Jonathan, his buddy. He couldn't go even to the house of the Lord. He couldn't even go to the ungodly. And they were going to capture him. <laughs> he acted like a madman to get free. And now he finds himself humbly in a cave to find 
refuge to find the rock of escape from what is happening in reality around him. But the cave wasn't to be David's refuge. That wasn't his refuge. That wasn't to be his rock to, to get the escape. God wanted to be David's refuge to be the rock of escape for him. This was a very discouraging time of his life. Nothing seemed to be going right. And so many people will choose to run to the cave, run to the mountain, run to someplace to find refuge, to find relief, to find and overcome the discouraging time. And that is not what God wants you to do. God really wants you to purely, God wants you to come to him for that refuge. For the rock that you stand upon is in on Jesus. He's the rock that we stand. That's where we have stability. Most archaeologists believe that the cave of Adullam was too, not too far from the place where David defeated Goliath in the hills of Judah. And David couldn't help there's no question if he was in that area. He remembered the highlight of taking down a giant, and now he finds himself humbly hiding in a cave. The highs and lows of life David experienced. Now it's interesting, when you read about and study David, you always have to keep an eye on the Psalms. Because David always wrote a song, a psalm from those experiences, and we've noted those in the in the past few chapters, but I'll give you another one here. For this cave experience, it was Psalm 142. It reads, a, a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. And so in here in 142, it says, David's discouraged. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then he knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have securely set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. The first four verses of that psalm is pretty heavy. Here's a man experiencing loneliness. A man who is of abandonment. One who is insecure. No security. Uncertainty. No one cares. You ever find yourself in those moments where you're sitting there and someone's like, how are you doing? No one cares. No one cares. I'm all alone. David understands that, and so does Jesus. Remember, Jesus, our Savior, everyone who left him, abandoned him. The cave of Adullam. We also see in the title of, there in Psalm 57, reads, of again, and this experience of being 
fleeing Saul and in running to a cave. It describes David as, a, as the Lord strengthened him in the cave and prepared him for what was next. All of that, if you look at there in verse 1 of 57 of Psalms, he says David was a humble heart, right? It says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to, merciful to me. He says, just a humble heart right there. He's just, be, show me mercy, please, Lord. Show me mercy in this situation. This is really bad. And he goes on in, in verse 2, and he says, I will cry out to God most high, to, to God who performs all things for me. That's very prayerful. From mercy should turn to a prayerful heart. Because your eyes are upon him, that where your help comes from. Then you look at, skip down to verse 4. My soul is among lions. You recognize the enemies are ready to devour him. The enemy is always looking to devour us. He comes around like a lion, crouching around, looking for opportunity to take us out. And he felt like there's lions were coming out. Look at down at verse 6. He says, and prepared a net for my steps. There's someone always looking to snare me. I have to watch where I step very carefully because if I step just wrong, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, it seems like everyone's trying to find the fault in me, trying to see what he, oh, did you hear those words? Did you see what he just did? Did you see how he looked? Did, everyone has this, always trying to snare me and catch me in a net. This is a man who didn't, couldn't trust anybody. And then we find there, as we continue in the verses there, you know, he has this humble heart. He has this, this prayerful heart. He has this realistic heart. This is real. People are really trying to take me out here and cap capture me. But he continues there in these verses of, of, of verses 5 and 9, 11. We see where he has that heart of trying to turn his eyes and praising the Lord here. He says, I praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. So he's trying to get his heart and mind set right through these troubling times. Be exalted, O Lord, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So I find myself in myself as you're sitting here going through some tense times where you're like, woe is me, and you have to be very careful. But at the next moment, you're trying to fight through those thoughts and turns like, Lord, you're in control. You are my all in all. I'm going to trust in you. That yes, the enemies might be coming. The people are trying to snare me. People are trying to take me out. All these things. And you're always, but Lord, I need to be in reality, a realistic, a realistic heart here. But I need to stay prayerful. I need to stay humble. But I need to have this trusting, praising heart for you through all of this. And we have to be reminded of that as David is here in this psalm because he understood he finds himself so humble in this cave, this, the rock of, of escape that wasn't quite meeting what he was hoping it was going to meet. But the Lord brought David into this place. That's the thing you always have to remember, God guiding the steps of this man. And even while he's in this Abdullah Abdullah's cave, we often think we have to get out of the cave until we can have the heart of David, like in Psalm 57. I have to just stay in this cave until I can get, get things right. And, and, and that's not true. The, we should start praising God in that dungeon, that cave moment, that dark moment. We should start learning to praise God. 
Because the Lord has allowed us to be into that moment and that time and that humbleness, that darkness. Yes, that realistic things are touching your life here. But God is in control and he's allowed it to happen. Regardless of our circumstances, we can come to God. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, uh uh-oh, Remember the last time when you talked about the brothers and the father? They didn't have a great relationship with them, did he? They didn't like him. <laughs> but look at the difference. Something's changed. Look at what happened. They heard what was happening to David, and he was a refuge. A fugitive, I should say. Fugitive. He's hiding. All kinds of words are getting around. And what happened? They went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone, Everyone who was in that area, that community, that, that was in distress, the guy's headed down there where he was at. Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to who? To David, to him. So he became captain over them. They were looking for a leader. And he became the captain over them. And there was about 400 men with him. That's crazy when you think about this. Here's a man that people trusted in him, and, but out of that, that, that large group of people in that community, that, that nation of Israel, of those who are here, we find that there's very distinct people, even though this man, the King Saul, is after him. And he's a fugitive, and he's doing all kinds, he's running, and they find that he's in a cave somehow, they find these things out. The first people to show up was his, his family came to him. This must have been very encouraging to see those who were closest to him, at least in his bloodline, his brothers, his father, actually didn't abandon him. No, no, he, they actually came to him. They recognized David was in trouble. They recognized that he was being persecuted. They used to be the ones that was persecuting him. They used to be the one that was causing the problems on him. Now everything's changed. Now they join him there at the cave. And it wasn't family. Sometimes, well, of course, family's going to do it. Not always, but sometimes you always think the, cave, the family's going to come to your rescue. But now everyone who found themselves in almost the same emotional state realistic state in their life the ones who were distressed the one who found themselves in debt the ones that found themselves discontented they said we're going to go join him 400 or so their own lives were in distress Lives were easy. Lives were difficult. They were in distress. Life was very difficult for them. They had their own personal problems and issues that were distressing them out. Yet God called them to go to David in the Adullam cave. The men in debt, they hadn't seen a lot of success in their past. They haven't anything to their name. They're barely hanging on. They're, they're, other, they're, they're slaves to others because they had debt and they have to pay it back. All their past failures, all the things that they deal with, they had problems of their own. 
but God called them to David at the Adullam cave. And then these men who were discontented. The Hebrew word here for discontented means bitter. Bitter men. Bitter of the soul. They understood the bitterness of life that they were dealing with in their lives. They were not satisfied with their lives. They were empty of their lives. They've had it with King Saul and the government. Nothing's right. Nothing's good. Can't trust anybody. Everyone's against everyone. Everyone's against me. Bitter of soul. And they wanted something different. They wanted change. Something better. And God called them to David at the Adullam cave. All of these men came to David. When he was down, when he was the one hiding a refuge, a refugee, fugitive, a man who was wanted, distressed, he was, bankrupt, he was, dissatisfied, he was. And these are the kind of people who come to Christ when you find yourself. You will come to Christ. And there are the only people who will come to him. For they have recognized their own distress and they need. They need a David. They found themselves in debt and bankrupt and and just consciously, utterly disconnected and discontented, and they needed someone to turn to. We have Jesus. They turned to David because God directed him to David. The sheer pleasures of these men drives them to the refuge. To find security, to find like-mindedness, what God directing them to this man. 400 or so people, 400 or so men, I should say. For us, we come to the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And he became, it wasn't a mob. It wasn't like just hanging out and having a great time, having a party in the cave kind of moment. You know, so, you know, in California, they're all excited. You get to go drink your wine in the caves. They wine caves. It was a big deal. That is not what they were doing. They were looking for a leader. And David became the captain over them. See, because God doesn't work through mobs. He works through called men and women. We're called to stand and support those men and women. 400 of them. A solid beginning of this rebel kind of army of David. Un, it, it, just this, this sense of just security in a man who they could follow.
And he took these men who were just had all kinds of challenges in their life and brought them together and with leadership caused them to unite and have clarity of purpose. These men came to David in distress. They came in debt. They came discontent. They had nothing to offer. But David made them in the kind of men described we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8. It describes them as mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle the shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. David was the one anointed by God. God anointed David to be the next king. He became Israel's greatest earthly king. But just as much as God called David, God called these 400 men to become a beside David. And when you see this and you see these principles come out in the scriptures, we hold on to those today as well. Each principle is important. The principle that God leads through a called and anointed man is very important. When the ark was to be built, did God call 400 men? No. He called one man. When Israel needed deliverance from Egypt, did he call 400 men? Or a committee? No. He didn't call a committee. He didn't call foreign men. He didn't call some, some group. He called a man to lead because God was going to anoint him to lead his people out of Egypt. Over and over again in the scripture, God works is, is by leading, by calling and anointing a man. That is how God works. And he still works today the same way. But at the same time, he doesn't call this one man and then anoint him to do this work and not then bring along the principle that God rarely calls any man by himself. He always calls him out to lead and then he brings men to come alongside to help. In this case, David, God, David didn't even know this, but God was calling 400 men to come, to come alongside to be the initial army that will be needed by God to, to take care of the enemy. Because David needed 400 men. David didn't know that. And those 400 men are just as called, just as anointed as David is. But their role is to support David. Not have 401 leaders. But they are called and anointed to follow and support David, and he is called and anointed to lead them. David had his followers, and so did the son of David, Jesus Christ, have his followers. Verse 3. Then David went from there to Mizpah in Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. 
So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. That's interesting when you first initially read it, because you're just like, why would he take, <laughs> why would he take his family, his mother and father? First of all, you understand, mom, dad, I appreciate you coming down. I appreciate you supporting me, but you, you, you're old. You cannot keep up with the battles here. We're going to be moving fast. I don't need to be worried about you. I need to get you out of the thing. So he takes them to the Mizpah of Moab, to the king of Moab, and he asks permission. Why there? Do you know? You should know. Because we see that his great-grandmother, Ruth, was a Moabite. They had family. There's connections there. So he took them to that place to make sure there's connection there. And he wanted his parents to be safe. Whatever the battle was going to be facing, they would be out of the way. They would be there around a lineage of heritage based upon his great-grandmother Ruth. Because at this point in time, David really doesn't know the full story, does he? He doesn't, have the, he doesn't see what's going to, how this is going to play out. He knows that he's supposed to be king, but he, he, right now it's pretty blurry how that's all going to be. be. He, right now he's just survival mode. He just knew he was called and anointed to be the next king of Israel, but he had no idea how God would get them there. David had to trust and obey when he didn't know what God would do. It's a principle, it's a, it's, a, it's a truth that we must hold on to. We must trust and obey God even when we don't know when God's going to do what he says he's going to do. But that's part about living by faith and not by sight. And he'll test that in all of our lives. Do you trust me? Will you obey? Do you trust me? Will you obey? These things will ring in our ears because he is trying to deepen our faith in him, deepen our commitment to him and our trust in him. And he'll take us through situations and seasons of life to uh, do you trust me? And when you hear my voice, will you obey it? Do you hear my word? Do you obey it? Verse 5, now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herath. So we see a prophet shows up. God uses a prophet to communicate to David. David, don't get comfortable here in the stronghold because you're looking for the next rock of escape here. This is not the place. It's not the stronghold. You have got to go to, into the stronghold of King Saul. You've got to go back to Judah. Because David, you're going to, you, you enjoyed the support and the aid from uh, all the people coming. Yes, yes, supporting there. And yes, you were coming here and looking for the school of prophets and looking for support from all of them. But Saul's dealing with the prophets, such as Samuel, and other prophets are always from a negative perspective here because Saul resisted the word of God. But David, no, no, not you. David, you received God's word. 
And so when you look at this, you'll enjoy the support, you'll enjoy the aid, you'll hear the communications from God, he'll communicate through you with his, and the question is, is you'll receive those things if you receive God's word like David and not like Saul where he is always resisting the word of God. May we learn to receive the word of God. Even when we don't want to hear it, that truth. Because you don't want to change. You don't want to believe. You don't want to, you don't want to have to make adjustments in your life and, 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 and cut things off and, or add certain things into your life. You don't want to hear that. And you know what the Word of God said? You heard it speak, it taught you. It felt that the Holy Spirit tell you that this is what you need to obey. But you struggle with those. But you don't want to receive it. We've got, to, we've got to work through those moments and say, no, I need to believe and trust and obey when the Word of God is, is presented and the Spirit tells us. But the prophet here of God counseled David to leave his own stronghold. How many times do someone give you counsel and you sit there and go, what? I'm, I'm, I'm just fine here. And he, no, 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 you have to go out of here and go out of your comfort zone. You've got to get into taking steps of faith here. You need to go back to the very stronghold of Saul. You're going to go back into any enemy territory almost. I assure you, this is not what David wanted to hear. He'd been running. He's looking for the rock of escape in his stronghold, something to give him some security in his, his mind. But David really wanted to just, did not want to hear it. He just wanted to just not do that. But he didn't. He fought through with those, any of those moments. We see that David really wanted to hear, yes, yes, but he also was willing to obey. He was willing to obey. And why did God put him in this really difficult situation? David had to learn to trust God in the midst of danger. God had to teach us as well that we need to trust him in the midst of danger or uncertainty. Not always on the other side of danger. Once you get through the danger, you get on the side, then I'll trust him. No, 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 that's not when you do it. That's easy to trust him. When everything is good and everything is safe, you're on the other side. No, he says, when even in the midst of dangers, in the midst of chaos, things are going not right, and you know, dangers and all things, we have to learn to trust God. And so here God is testing or exercising David's faith. Exercising David's wisdom. Exercising David's courage. Why? Because God is preparing him to be the king of the kingdom. He's going to be the king. He's going to uphold, increase, you know, and, and protect God's people. He has to prepare this man, and it's going to be through these trials and tribulations, these testings. Then what happens here? We can see Saul coming into the back in the picture here. It's not, it's not good. Verse 6, And when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under the terrorist tree of Ramah, 
with his spear in hand. So obviously he's ready to pin someone against the wall. It <laughs> doesn't go here. So he's got his spear. He's ready to, to, to find the David the next time, right? And all of his servants standing up about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me. And there is no one who reveals to me that my son had, has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me. Or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. <laughs> you know, if it was just David hiding, I bet you he was probably skilled enough to hide and hide for years. But he couldn't hide just himself. He has 400 other people <laughs> you just don't move that little entourage and not be seen. It's going to obviously take note. And of course, it was discovered. They were discovered. And of course, all the, 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 the you know, stupidians went back and told you know, Saul, guess what? We found him. But in that moment, as they're gathered there under the tree in Ramah, and he's got a spear in hand, he's ready to turn on anybody, He's obviously gone into paranoia now. He's gone so deep, he's into paranoia. He doesn't trust anyone. And we see very clearly he didn't even trust the men who were surrounding him at that moment in time. He seems to, so seems to be truly just getting worse and worse. He's even asking if a man from Judah will favor the tribe of Benjamin with his riches and promotions. Oh, I just come from the tribe of Benjamin, I, none of you trust a person who comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Because you're, you're the tribe of Judah, you're the bigger, and we're the smallest. Notice even David doesn't even call David his name. He's the son of Jesse, the lowest of lowest. He didn't call him, say, the man who killed Goliath. He's not the man, he didn't say he's not the man who saved Israel or killed the 200 Philistines or the man who was anointed by God or even he's my son-in-law. He did not even recognize this man as being anywhere other than a very distant, lowest point. The lowest point. Can you really trust the son of Jesse? Is he going to give you the fields? He doesn't have anything to give you. The vineyards? He has nothing to give you. Is he going to be able to make you captive? He doesn't have anything. I can do all of that. Why are you trusting someone from the tribe of Benjamin? Because you're turning on me. Notice, he says, no one of you who is sorry for me. That's called a pity party. And the scripture says when you get into that pittiness, that it's, 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 it's satanic, it's, it's dark, when you go into pity. And why is everyone turning? Even my son has turned against me. Why didn't you tell me that they had this covenant worked out and they were working and conspiring against me? See, when someone gets to a point where they're like this and they're just really out of control it's all because he is in his flesh 
He's so self-focused, his whole world revolves around him. Everything revolves around Saul. And this is what you will see in one's life. This, this paranoia, the whininess that comes. Very critical spirits. It always, it's like it just because of the guilt and the, accus, you know, the accusations and all these things, it's really heavy on a man's mind. He'll go squirrely. And even all these things he's declaring his son has done, Jonathan never did any such things. David Jonathan wasn't conspiring to take over and all these other He just, Saul's creating these things, these conspiracies in his mind. It gets worse. Verse 9, then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob. To Himelech, the son of Ahimtub, Achatub, and he acquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And remember, David saw Doeg and said, oh, this is not going to be good. And, and it turned out not to be good. And now he's, he's going to be right there again to try to say, hey, I saw everything. I saw what happened. And he gave this vision of what he saw, and it wasn't not true. It wasn't the full truth. You got to watch this. People will go, what did you see? And it gives you, there's like a 10 piece to the story, but you only give you the three pieces that make it look really bad. But if you gave all 10 pieces of the puzzle of the whole scene, it wasn't anything like he pictured it. He didn't tell Saul, oh, by the way, Hemelech questioned David because it was not right and he was very scared of what was going on because he should not have been by himself. He questioned and questioned him. But he stopped questioning because David said, you sent him. David lied to the man. But here we see he inquired. He, he's painting a picture of the priest here of Hamelech and David's kind of interactions. But it was just a very limited kind of perspective. Why would Doeg do that? Because he was an ambitious man. He wanted the position. He wanted notary. He wanted power. And he wanted to be on the good side of Saul so that he could be the one that David was. Self-promotion. He also knew how to divert Saul's anger and suspicion. And look what the outcome is. It's not good. Verse 11. So the king sent to, to call Amalek, the priest, the son of Echintub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob. And they all came to the king, and Saul said, Hear now, son of Achitub. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? And you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Wait, 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 wait. David is the most faithful of all of your all the people around you, King Saul. 
Who is the king's son-in-law? He's your son-in-law. What are you, what are you talking about? Who goes at your, your, your bidding? You tell him to go to war, go do this, do that. He just goes and does it. And is honorable in your house. Did I then begin to inquire for the, of God for him? Again, another question. There's two major, major questions there. Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. I didn't know what was going on here. He's your son-in-law. He's very honorable. He's in, he, he, I, we recognize who this man is. We didn't know there was a, a, a division and a, 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 a butting heads and, and worse than that. They're trying, you're, you think he's trying to kill you and you're trying to kill him? I mean, I didn't know any of this. We see this can happen so many times even in today. Hamlet answered him rightly and honestly and clear conscience. He, he was simply and honestly just to let not the king impute anything on their saver. I didn't know anything was going on here. But Saul was on the slippery slope of absolute reckless paranoia. When your head is spinning, you create all kinds of things. And even when people are trying to tell you the truth, you're not receiving. You, don't, you think you're, you're just telling you that because you're still trying to take advantage of me. Or it, just, it gets worse and worse when someone is in this position. You're just conspiring against me. Why? Because Saul had already settled in, I am the victim. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. And when you're sitting there and you see it played out even on news today, people are always got that victim mentality. There's nothing you can teach them or say to them that will convince them of the spirally squirreliness that Saul finds himself in. We see it played out all across many facets of our society today. They play the victim. Everyone's against me. Paranoias. You're all against me. I have to fight my way out of here. And you're all... It's played out just like we see here in the life of Saul. Even though you tell them the truth, even though you show them, even though they have witnesses, it doesn't matter. They just literally make things up in their minds. But Ahimelech didn't was unaware of the hatred Saul has for David. He didn't realize Saul was a jealous envious king. Verse 16. And the king said, you shall surely die. Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Isn't that great to see? They saw, they understood, they knew the truth. They weren't going to do it. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. And so Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women and children and nursing infants, oxen, donkeys and sheep, 
with the edge of the sword. He didn't, Doeg had this great power, power trip. King says to turn and take out the, these men who gathered there. It, it, does, it does, Where he got the, all of a sudden now I'm going to go back to Nob and I'm going to go back there and wipe out all the other men and children and, and everyone else who wasn't even part of the priesthood. He literally took it upon him this power trip to wipe out an entire community here. But when any man who finds himself in a place of sin and rebellion, when someone is so much of their sin and rebellion, that man, that woman cannot stand to see innocent people. They drive you crazy. I'm like, disagreed with Saul. Saul's response is, I don't care. I'm, you're, you're, I'm gonna, you're, you're to be murdered. Saul was reluctant in no way. He had no problem killing. You know, it's one thing, he had no problem killing the enemies of the Lord. But you see how far and dark he gets. He's now not, he's no longer against the enemies of the Lord. He's now going against the Lord's anointed, the Lord's priest, the Lord's people. It never stops with just the enemy. When you're gone crazy, you'll go for the, those who are coming against you in real time, but you'll also then get paranoia and you'll start striking out even the ones who love you and who are for you. He became so out of it, he wasn't even reluctant to murder the priests of the Lord in cold blood. <laughs> Clearly, Saul is at the deep end. The bitterness and angry and everything, all these things have gone to the point of murder. I love the fact that the, the servants of the king stood and said, no, we're not touching them. But Doeg, obviously... He's an Edomite. He, he, he was not a Jew. He had no problem. You want me to take out the Jews? Okay. I'll take them out and their families. Verse 20. Now one of the sons of Hamelech, the son of Echetub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. So David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul and I saw I have caused the death of all the persons of, of uh, your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear for he who seeks my life seeks your life but with me you shall be safe. Here's a true leader. He recognized, he's, he's, he's actually recognizing it because of, of him, it has an effect in a negative way of, of people around or attached or associated with him. He recognizes that in part, but now he's realizing he can't flee any longer. He can't hide anymore because he sees that his life is really causing problems with other people around them. And so now you see right there, I think it was a pivot right there in his mind, and he says, 
I've, I've caused that. My, because of your association with me, that has resulted in people's death. So stay with me. Do not fear. Right now, he was, had 400 men. Yes, he was the captain. But I believe at this moment, this news literally changed this man to say, okay, now that's, that's it. I'm, not, I'm going from defense into offense mode here. How do and when do we see this played out? Again, back in the Psalms. We see him writing again there. If you go back to Psalm 52. The title is a contemplation of David when Doeg, the Edomite, went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Amalek. So when you go back and read 50, uh, Psalm 52, he makes it so clear there. David showed the, his outrage against Doeg. David was so mad. Why do you boast an evil, O mighty man? Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor. Working deceitfully, you love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words in your deceitful tongue. Go through all that, Psalm 52, all the way to verse 9. You'll see clearly what his thoughts and mind's mindset was. Now in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23, then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise and go to Keilah. For I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. So we see here in the story that, again, David is escaping and is, and he's, and he, you know, obviously is do, trying to avoid Saul, but God still has David. Wait a minute, David, you don't get just so distracted about this. I still have a purpose and a plan for your life, and I need you now to go save. A, a community, Kayla. We, I need you to go do this. And so, you know, the Philistines are going to are fighting against them, and they are robbing the threshing floors. All their livelihood is being taken by these people. And so they brought this plea to David. Why? Because people will go to the leader and say, "We're in trouble. We need help. Where do we go? Where do we turn to this? We can't turn to King Saul." Because he wasn't fulfilling his role. He was just a figurehead. He wasn't actually doing anything. And it wasn't, Saul wasn't looking to protect Kayla. He was supposed to fight the Philistines. But Saul wasn't even doing that. And so the Lord called David, the true leader that God had for him, this is what I need you to do, David. God is saying to David, I love my people way too much. I love them so much. I cannot stand to see them suffer in un, with an unfaithful king. I need you to rise up to the moment here. 
Saul wasn't up to the task. He's so focused upon trying to take you out, David. And paranoia, he's losing his mind. But I have raised you up, David. You're the one I've anointed and raised up. And I'm going to direct your steps, David, to act like a king, even if, if it was not the, you're the, not the king fully yet at this point in time. I understand this. I see this, but I'm preparing you for that kingship. So what did David do? A man after his own heart, he turned to the Lord and inquired of the Lord. He didn't just take it upon and say, how dare they, the Philistines? I'm going to go kill them myself and then just get emotional. No, he turned and inquired of the Lord. It shows David's wisdom and godliness. He could have said, it's not my responsibility. I'm not king yet. That passive aggressive, you know, I'll lead the 400 and I know I need to do something, but I'll, you know, it's not my job description. It's not in there. It's not, I'm not called to that yet. That's Saul's responsibility. Someone else, not mine. Others would have said, they wouldn't even inquire of the Lord. Let's just let's go do it. Let's emotionally be charged. Let's just storm the castle there. Either way of extremes is not right. It's not godly. It's foolishness. But David was wise because he inquired of the Lord. And what did the Lord say? Yes, you, you, you will. Even though it was a crazy thing, he's at 400 men and we're going to go against the Philistines. All the men with bad credit reports. How good, what can they do? And it's not like a regular army here. It's a ragtag team that got kind of pulled together here. And he was already having enough problems with Saul. Now he's going to go take care of the Philistines. And now it's going to draw even more of a wedge and division between him and Saul. Because Saul is going to get really upset. Because David again will, is going to, to, to win because the Lord is with him. So that, you know, if he's sitting there going, I don't know how that's going to play out with Saul. If he's worried about what Saul's going to do. And what's going to happen is he goes out there. He's now no longer hiding. <laughs> he's out in the open. Putting him more at risk. But what? look what happened. David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here we're in Judah. We're afraid right here. This is not a good, safe place that we have come. And they're looking to the leader to see. And this is not some democracy. He's, they're going to the leader. The leader is going to be held responsible to make a decision for the people. But David did the right thing. He wisely went and counseled from the Lord. Understand what the Lord wanted him to do. By faith, he's coming. And not only just once, but twice. Not only confirming what God's previous command was, but he also gave a promise with that confirmation. I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. He's just making sure he's got clarity that it is truly from the Lord and not just a feeling. Not because it just seems right. It's, it's like, that's what I've always really... It's a, it's a good feeling to go do this. No, no. David wasn't going on feelings. He wasn't going on past experiences. 
He's not trying to make a name for himself. He literally in the situation is humbly just saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use me? And got clarity. Verse 5, And David and his men went to Kelilah and fought the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. He obeyed God's will here. God, David did what God told him to do. It wasn't enough to just ask and know God's will. He must have a commitment to obey God's will even when it is difficult. And he did. And God blessed him. He blessed the obedience of David. And God will always perfectly, always perfectly keep his promise to David and to us. Verse 6, Now it happened when Abathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand, and Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. He's trapped. There's only one way in and one way out. And now Saul says, I got him. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Look what the words he used here. Saul said, God has delivered him to me. I know God has delivered me. That was absolute false. He's just doing God speak. He's just doing Christianese speak to justify what he thinks is of God. It wasn't of God at all. And it's a danger for everybody if you're not careful. Are you really sure that's of God? No, it wasn't of God. But it made him feel better than justify and maybe probably inspire others around him that was questioning his leadership. But this is what God wants. We, this is what we need to do. It wasn't of God at all. He was so bitter and angry and so focused on killing David, he would use and say anything to justify what he wanted. And that's exactly what he did. And here he thinks it's an opportunity. It's not true that the Lord had delivered him into his hand. But he was using that for his people to get him to go to war. It wasn't for the war to go against the Philistines that he should be doing. Or against the Edomites or against the Amalekites or against the Moabites. It, no, it was a going against David. The bitterness to go get him. Saul didn't even offer, hey, come on, let's go. We're going to go down there and help the people in Caleb. We need to save the people from the Philistines. No, no, it wasn't about that at all. Try to justify, say it was God's work in doing this, that we're going to go down. But it was, it was not. It was just his bitterness. Verse 9, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. 
Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, now we've grown up to 600 men coming and joining in this little army, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. They were scattering is really what they were saying. Let's, let's see which way we're going to go, right, left, wherever we can go. And it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. What? <laughs> you see how bad the king is? He, he wanted to go get for David. David scattered. They left. The people are still, the Philistines are still after his people. He didn't keep going down there to take care of the Philistines. Completely his lost objectivity. And the fact that he was still king. The fact that he was still in that position. He was still supposed to be faithful and to do the things as he was doing as a king. But he was so bitter and so anxious to, to get back after someone. They lost complete. He lost his mind. The foolishness is so deep and so settled in. No question. So what happens, now we see David will narrowly escape here from Saul. In verse 14, David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. So we are seeing now David and his men are hiding out in the forest. I mean, that's a good cover and around the, into the strongholds there in the wilderness. Ziph was a town probably below the southern tip of the Dead Sea. That's where we see approximately where they are. And it's not a good place down, down there at the bottom. I mean, it's pretty rough life down there in that landscape down there. It wasn't some comfortable living down in the, the wilderness. But we see that this time that David and his men are down there, God is still working in David's life. Because through all these experiences, he's becoming more and more a man after God's heart. From the shepherd field, now becoming a king in the wilderness. Saul was just flat out no de determined to be an enemy against David, to pursue him. So obsessed with killing David. Didn't even give attention at all of what God needed to have him do as a king. You know, that, that doesn't matter. All he was ready is to please himself in taking out David. Verse 16, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods of the strengthened, in the woods, and strengthened his hand in God. That's a good friend, is it not? When you're really down, you come to strengthen his hand in God, not in psychobabble, not in worldly comforts, 
No, strengthen in his, in his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. I'm still here for you. I'm still with you. I'm not against you, not trying to take you out. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. This would be the actual last time he actually sees David and makes another covenant here with him. But God used Jonathan, this loyal friend, to come and strengthen David's hand in God. Jonathan wasn't going to rescue David, but he came to strengthen him and encourage him through these difficult times. He couldn't even give David all the answers. He was real. My dad knows. He knows, you know what, this is all going to play out. It doesn't, it's not stopping him. I'm just telling you, I'm here to strengthen you, but God's going to work this all out, and God is going to bring you into become king, and I'll be right there by yourself side to help you. So do not fear. Be a strong of courage. Be a strong courage. Because I'm telling you, this is going to work out for God's glory and purpose. David could have rejected all that. Are you kidding me, Jonathan? You're not the one out living out here like this. You're not the one running like a fugitive here. What do you mean? Easy for you to say not to fear. You're the one. I'm the one who's being hunted down. No, David didn't do that. He received from his good friend, Jonathan, and painted a vision, a picture of what it's going to be like When this is all settled out. But that would never come to pass. Because Jonathan would die before David became king. But it didn't stop Jonathan from encouraging the divine promises that God had given to David. And expressed the hope and the desire for that to be fulfilled. And that's what we should do with one another. Saul knew that David would be the next king. Saul just didn't want. He was going against God, so it wouldn't happen. (laughs) You're going against God. You're always going to lose. Verse 19. The Ziphonites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hills of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. (laughs) That's funny. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans clans of Judah. So, for every faithful Jonathan, 
there is always going to be a Ziphite. There's always going to be a Ziphite willing to betray, willing to come against you. You'll have those who will be for you. And you and I have to understand there's also going to be people against you. Friends and betrayers. Friends, faithful friends, and those who turn against you. Just as Jesus did. People were for him, and then they turned against him. But notice here, blessed are you of the Lord. Saul was so spiritually warped that he said to the betrayers of, this, of an innocent man, Blessed are you of the Lord. All this Christianese, all these, if you just say it in some Christian little talk, then you just have to accept it. I know you say it's of the Lord, but it's not of the Lord. You say you're going to be blessed for going out and doing this. You're going to be blessed by the Lord. No, you're not going to be blessed by the Lord. It's not in the God's will. You're coming against God's man. <laughs> you're going against that. That is not going to happen. And he's crafty because he's trying to dodge the spear coming at his head every time he's around you. It wasn't David's craftiness that kept him from Saul's clutches. It was godliness and goodness and faithfulness of the Lord. That's the Lord had him moving around. You want to know why he's so crafty? Because God was moving him around while the spears were coming. Where do we see his feelings, David, in regards to this moment? The contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? You find that. Go back and read Psalm 54. You see in that verse 1 of 54, Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Oh, how wonderful that verse is. But go back and read through the first six verses. It's a great, great psalm. And finally, Verse 24, so they arose and went to Ziphah before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain of the south of Dishamon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he heard that, he pursued David. In the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hasten and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. So we sit here, again, God's work, allowing for another escape, the Rock of Escape. 
we find that he, a great picture, if you can visualize it, a big mountain, whatever that mountain size is, the, uh, Saul and his, his men are on one side, David and the men on the other side, and they were going around the mountain. You can see them going, okay, are they going right or left? You know, have you ever played the game, and you're just like, you go one way, and they go that way, and you turn around really quick trying to catch them the other? Encircling, and it got to a point where obviously David realizes they're going to catch up to us eventually. We better get out of here. But God comes in for the save. We find that the Philistines are probably prompted to come in. It causes the word to get to him. And he says, he finally comes to realize that this is serious. Philistines are over invading the land. He actually took his mind off of David for that moment to go save the rest of the kingdom. Because he realized it wasn't just a little town that was being overthrown. It was invading the land. And there David and his men recognized the hand of God and they did a memorial called the Rock of Escape here. And from there they dwelt in, and went up in the, uh, into the strongholds of Engedi. Amazing story, is it not? If only Saul knew how close David was. Did they really know he was on the other side of the mountain and they were walking around it and they were just trying to get keep out of their view? Because the ridge wouldn't allow them to see them there. And Saul's trying to figure out how to entrap him, David, but God intervened. Out of the blue, out of heaven, <laughs> a messenger came to Saul. You got to get back now. The Philistines invaded the land. And God saved David and his men right then and there. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, Lord, as we continue through 1 Samuel, thank you for your word and the things we can learn and understand and see how it's played out here, Lord, in a man named Saul. I pray for all who are listening, Lord, that we find ourselves in any form or fashion spiraling out of control into paranoia, bitterness, and anger, Resentment. Find ourselves lashing out against those who are actually not their enemy. But they're treating them like their enemy. Or running, trying to escape and get away. When they shouldn't even be running and getting away. Because they're right where God wants them to be. I pray, Lord, we would just settle and we would be like David, keep coming back to the Lord, truly hearing from you through and by your word. That your word, as we open up your scripture, your word would speak to our hearts, settle our hearts, encourage our hearts. May we have a Jonathan in our life to encourage and strengthen our hand in you through difficult times through our highs and the lows, Lord. We, may we have a trusted brother or sister in our life to encourage us in our walk with you, trusting you and obeying you. We thank you and praise you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.